I'm going to do it the way Jesus. You know, it says in the Bible, he sat and taught them. They actually sat in the synagogue and taught. So I want to, I want to do this a little different because we're going to have to go through uh, some numbers, some statistics, and something very interesting. I promise you that if you'll hear this, it's going to be helpful. Robbie, run up here. Give me two minutes, minute and a half maybe. That's all I need. Robbie James. I'm going to have Robbie write a book about his life. I won't go into it, but it's been amazing. Uh, woo, the key to stopping tormenting spirits, four series of CDs, taking the bait, living in pain, the Christian's biggest trap to avoid in the last days, the key to stopping a tormenting spirit. Now, this is important. Listen to this. Fishing in the sea of forgetfulness, the danger of bringing up other people's sins. If someone's been forgiven and you keep bringing it up, you will have to deal with the same sin they got forgiven over, and I'll prove it from the Bible. That's why when one minister years ago tried to expose a preacher for an affair, he got caught in one two years later. Really, because they'll come on you. This is, this is one of the most powerful series the Lord ever gave me. The book Feeding Demons is on Manifest. I just want you to take a little bit of time and go through here. Spirits of weakness, spirits of depression, spirits of oppression, spirits attacking children. Goes through a lot of that. And if you don't have our New Testament commentary. Hey, Pastor, by the way, uh, I'm going to give Pastor my Bible tonight. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have this last time I was here. I didn't have it, did I? So this is the commentary of the whole New Testament. My personal commentary took me took me two and a half years to write this. Every verse has a commentary and it's great. Do you have one? Do you like it? Have you learned anything? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit, I love it. Now, finally, I wanna show you this real quick. I, I, one of the things I have done through my life is, is I'm a collector, I'm a hoarder. My wife laughs at me. I have the first sermon I ever preached plus all the others. First cassette I ever preached plus all the others. First DVD video I ever did plus all the others. I have warehouses of stuff, just, just me. And uh, his wife introduces me as Perry. This is Perry. He's a hoarder, by the way. You know, it's, like, it's almost like, you know, Perry is an alcoholic. He's going through rehab or something. You, know, you feel like, what do you say? Real quick, um, over the years, I have asked my friends in Israel to, to get me coins, and I barter with them. Won't go into detail, but I barter with them. I had so many of these, my wife said, please get rid of stuff. If something happens to you, I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. I said, okay, I'm starting to get rid of it. So this is an authentic widow's mite. It's got green patina. Do not clean it. You kill the value of it. It was found in Jerusalem in an excavation. I brought 50 of them with me, and they're in jewelry. In shops, they'll sell for, you've been there, $80 to $100. I'll give, this is $40, okay? It's from my personal collection, so you can't make the check out to the ministry, and I can't take a credit card. So you just... Make a check to Perry Stone or cash or whatever because it's from a personal collection. My daughter's graduation fund thanks you very much. <laughs> graduation college fund. Let me say it that way. College fund. How many parents know what I'm talking about? The rest of you will one day. All right. I'm going to read from, it's from the New King James translation of 2 Timothy chapter 1, 5 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 5 through 7. And uh, this is, a very interesting verse. And the other day when I was doing our youth convention, this verse came to me and jumped out at me. And I want to tell you something about this and then we're going to go from there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 5 through 7, King, New, New King James translation. Now, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith, it's in you, which was first in your grandmother Lois. Now he's going back two generations here. And your mother Eunice. And I persuade is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God 
which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you the spirit of fear. What's the opposite of faith? Fear. So he was fearful. It was killing his faith. God's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Several years ago, in fact, it still continues. There's been a lot of teaching on what we call generational curses. And I began to study the idea of generational curses. And I understood the concept of what people were saying, because it says in the Bible, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and, gener third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And that verse pastor jumped out at me one time. It's not talking there about a believer being under a curse. It's talking about people who hate the Lord being under a curse. And I started realizing that a lot of what we call curses are generational patterns. We learn, we saw our dad act that way, so we act that way. Our mama had that personality, we've got that personality. Or, believe this or not, there can be generational spirits. And a generational spirit is basically, it's a familiar spirit. It's a spirit that's familiar with your family, your ancestors, etc. And it can, if not dealt with, attack future generations. But there's been so much on the idea of a person coming under a spirit or a, a, let's say, as some people say, a curse or some people call it a, a generational pattern as, as I would refer to it. But not enough preaching on what is in your DNA that's from God that you haven't tapped into yet. What, my, I felt something fly by when I said that. What is there that's in you that you do not know because you don't even know who your ancestors were? You think you do. Maybe you do. Maybe you know five, six generations back. I don't. I don't till my aunt, who was a had a master's degree from, from West Virginia, decided to do the Bava side of her family. And her dad's name was Bava. And she found out, you know, of course she knew this, that her mother was a Spencer. So she took the mama's side of the family, the way the Jews do, and traced it back and writes me and says, oh, you will not believe who we're related to. And I said, who? She said, Martha Washington and Princess Di. Oh, that, that, that's not a bad DNA. Come on, talk to me, somebody. And then she goes and tells me your great, 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 great ancestor was an inventor, a Methodist preacher. I never knew that we had another preacher in the family. I thought there was only great granddad, granddad, me and dad. I mean, I, th I thought that was it. And said, let me tell you something else. He invented the railroad spike. I thought, dear God, where's the royalty money? Why have we never seen it? She said, I'll tell you in a minute. She said, he invented the spike on the golf shoe. I said, you really see Ah, here's the picture. She sends me the picture. She sends me the West Virginia newspaper. Here's one of my relatives that invented some of the stuff we're still using today. I said, where's the money? She said he got a divorce and to get his wife off his back, he gave her all of his patents. I read, that, I read about that spirit of the Bible called a dumb devil. I said, there it was right on that ancestor. That's where it came from. But, but a lot of you don't realize this, and this is where we're going to go. And that is that there is a DNA of the flesh, but I'm going to say this, there's a DNA of the spirit. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Your great grandmother had faith. Your mother had that same gift of faith. And Timothy, believe it or not, it's been passed on through your spiritual DNA. So let's talk about the physical DNA. We're going to get into the spiritual DNA because DNA is one of my little side subjects that fascinates me. For example, according to Walt Brown, who has a PhD, he wrote a book that dealt 
with what we call the DNA. There's one, now we're going to go through some numbers, so you're going to have to use your thinking cap. There's 100 trillion cells in the body. Most of your cells have 46 segments of DNA, 23 from your mother and 23 from your father that contain coded genetic information all about you. If the DNA of those 46 segments in you were uncoiled, they would be seven feet long. But yet, it is so thin, it cannot be detected under a normal electronic microscope. If the information from one cell, from one person, now this is where it gets mind-blowing, guys. If the information from one cell of one person were written in books, it would take 4,000 books to contain the information in one DNA cell from one person. If the DNA, DNA in your entire body were stretched from here to the moon, you'd have to stretch it 500,000 times to just get the information encoded in the DNA in one person's human body. In book form, all of the cells would fill the Grand Canyon 75 times. Yet, one set of DNA cells from every person placed in a pile weighs less than an aspirin. Now, does this explain this verse? I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Does that make sense to anybody now? But the amazing thing about DNA is you can, <coughs> you can find a girl and she says, I'm pregnant, but I was with five guys. So they do the blood test. You know the story and they check the DNA and they can tell you exactly who the father is. They go back to prison and take men that 25 years ago, this recently happened, have been in prison, accused of a murder, did the DNA testing on what we have now and found out that the person was not actually the murder because the DNA cleared them. What is amazing to me is they can take dinosaurs, and we really don't know how old they are. Uh, some say they actually perished in the flood of Noah. That's actually possible. But dinosaurs, and they're now saying they can take the DNA from the bones because they have found some frozen, some that were frozen, and they can take that DNA and eventually think, they think, recreate a dinosaur in the very near future. They can take a dead child and take the DNA they think and recreate a twin in the future. Now, someone said to me one time, well, how in the world do you think there's going to be a resurrection of the dead? Now, I've never heard of anything so foolish in my life because if people die and their bones deteriorate and they go back to the dust, they're gone. All it takes is one speck of DNA the size of a pinhead to recreate something. In fact, it doesn't even have to be the size of a pinhead. And that's the reason why Daniel said there would come a day that they who sleep in the dust would arise. Hallelujah. Because God controls the miracle of the human body. Now, DNA is concealed, and this is where it gets real fun. Trust me, when I preached this to the kids about a week ago, I had a big screen with all full pictures there. So it was a little bit different than it is tonight. So use your uh, sanctified imagination here if we can. Now, the DNA is, conceal is, is concealed in the seed of conception. In the Old Testament, this is interesting, 224 times uh, it talks about the seed. It's the same Hebrew word, and it's the word Zorah. If you're spelling it, it's Z-A-W with the emphasis on Zoh and Ra, R-A-H. And that's the word Hebrew word translated seed. Now, that word seed in the Old Testament can mean the seed of a plant. It also means the seed of a man. It actually means that which is able to reproduce itself. 
A seed of a plant can reproduce itself. The seed of a man can reproduce itself. So this is why God, this is interesting, that God calls Abraham and says this, I will bless your seed and your seed's seed. God begins to call someone who is not yet born a seed. Why? Because the DNA and the hair and the eyes and everything about them is already encased where and concealed where? It's already scientifically, medically concealed in that seed. Now, the amazing thing about this, and you better listen to this verse, is a verse in the book of Hebrews where it talks about Abraham paying tithe to Melchizedek. And it said, Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek for Levi. For Levi was still in his father's loins. Now, wait a minute. You got to understand the Old Testament and genealogy for this to even make sense. You have Abraham with Melchizedek before Isaac is born. But Isaac has to be born and he has to get married before he has uh, 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 Jacob. Jacob has to be born and he has to be married before he can have Levi. So you're talking about that Abraham before three generations, three generations are in his loins. Yet the Bible says that when he's paying tithe, he's doing it for Levi who is yet a seed in his father's loins. This shows me something. Don't anybody ever sit there and think that what you do, sir, in your body is not affecting your unborn children. Don't ever think, and this is in scripture, that what you're doing is not impacting the seed that is in your loins before they are ever born. Abraham paid tithe for a boy that would not be born for several hundred years. What you don't realize perhaps is what you do today is not really about you. You think that your giving is about you. You think what you're doing is about you. You think your plans are about you. I was almost killed in a car wreck when I was two years of age. And before my dad died, bless his memory, he couldn't hardly see because of diabetes. He's sitting in a chair and he's crying and telling me the car wreck story 1962 in Elkins outside of Elkins West Virginia when the white comet slammed into a man's truck going 55 miles an hour when he bent the steering wheel over messed up his vocal cords his, his larynx I should say for the rest of his life he had a rough voice didn't have it in the beginning it put my mama's head through the windshield cracked her jaw broke it it broke her right kneecap and it threw me so hard on the dashboard that it knocked both the shoes off of my feet and mama thought I was dead. My father looked at me and said these words. I thought that the accident of 1962 was about me starting that church in Buchanan, West Virginia. But he said, I'm going to tell you what the car wreck was about. The car wreck was about you, son, because the enemy wanted you dead. I don't know. He said how Satan would have known it or the kingdom of darkness would have known it. But somehow they detected there's a little West Virginia boy coming that one of these days God's going to let him reach the entire world through media ministry. He said, it was never about me, son. It was about you. Mom and dad, can I tell you something? I feel like telling you that some of the battles that you're fighting, you somehow think it's about you. It's really not about you. You know why? Because your kids have their eyes on you. They're going to see how you react to this thing. Your grandchildren have their eyes on you. How is grandma and granddad going to react when they think they're about to divorce each other? Are they going to divorce? Or are they going to stay together? Are, are you going to stay in church during the good times? and the bad times are just the good times and leave when it's going bad. What you've got to understand is everything about you affects those around you. What you need to know is this. 
that the battles that you're going through you think are about taking you out. No, they're not. They're about a seed that might not even be here yet, a child that might not be born yet. And what you do and how you act and the faith you have or don't have is going to affect a generation that is still out there. Somebody give God praise if you receive the word of the Lord right now. Now I want to ask you this. Let's be honest. Has anybody ever said to themselves, I don't even know, I don't even know, I'm an accident. I had a boy the other day sit and say, my, my daddy and mama told me I was an accident. I was not planned. I was not supposed to be here. Now, how do you think a kid feels when you got two kids and, oh, they were great. They were wonderful. Yeah, we planned them. We didn't plan you. And you're planting that seed in a young man's mind. Can I ask a question? Was anybody ever told growing up you really weren't supposed to be here. Raise your hand. I, there's a, there, I feel like I'm with the spirit. Yeah, yeah. Was there anybody that was ever told, we didn't really want you? Was anybody ever told that? Yes, yes, growing up. Was, did, did anybody, although you were never told that, were you ever treated like you felt that way? Raise your hand. Now here comes the crowd. Come on. That, that you just, they didn't want you. Nobody really wanted me around. Well, let me talk to you about that. Ready? <laughs> when a man consummates, and you understand we're adults here, with his wife, one teaspoon full of seed. Now, it's interesting because in Hebrew, the word seed is the Hebrew word zorah, but in Greek, it's the Greek word sperma. So when you read in the Bible, the seed, you know, we talk about the seed of the word, the seed of Abraham. Seed is sperma. It's where we get the word sperm from. And all adults here know, 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 know what that is. But one t when the man consummates with his wife, one teaspoon, one teaspoon. I'm glad I didn't do my illustration with that today, Pastor. Didn't bring, my, didn't bring the teaspoon out of the kitchen. But one teaspoon, use your imagination, keep it sanctified, has, this is, this, this is crazy, has 100 million little tiny sperm seeds in it. A hundred, a hundred million. In one act of consummation, the sperm released from a man into his wife can release between 40 million to 1.2 billion tiny, single, microscopic, little swimming sperm. 1.2 trillion. If you were to line up in one act, one night of a man consummating with his wife, and you were to line up the seed, the sperm, the little sperm that you have to look under a microscope to see, ready? It would stretch head to tail, head to tail, so to speak, for a total of six miles. Husband, look at your wife and say, I'm an animal. I'm a beast. I, I look, I, I don't know about you. That's insane. Now, it, it, think, now think about it. 1.2. Now, I, I did a study to determine Everybody that raised your hand, this is for you. And I really feel the anointing getting ready to say this. I do. I feel it in my spirit. For every one of you that raised your hand who say, well, they told me I was an accident. They told me I shouldn't have been here. They told me they didn't want me. Or I've just felt like I don't even belong. Your chances, your chances of getting here was one in 200 million. Let me say it again so it'll stick with you. Your chances of getting here were one in 200 million. Now, let's talk about the woman. 
There are 2 million, and these are scientific numbers, 2 million total egg follicles that a woman has that give rise to the eggs in her body. At puberty, most of that closes up at puberty. She has the number that she's going to have. There's 450 out of those 2 million that will ever be released into mature eggs and fertilized. It takes 48 hours for that to happen. The male seed, let's just, let's take the high number. One trillion male seed swim to get to that egg. Mm -hmm. Well, now, since we're talking about the egg, do you realize if you have 450 that fertilize, and that's one a month, divide 12 into 450 and you'll figure out you have 37 to 38 years to get pregnant. Everybody's still tracking with me? All right, you're still, I say you're still tracking with me. Okay, now, in that contest, there is a blue eyes here, there's black hair here, brown hair here, red hair here, blonde hair here, there's real, real thick lips here, real skinny lips here. There's six foot four here, there's five foot 11 here, and there's four foot nine from that great great grandma you had that was Cherokee Indian. You with me? We're talking in the DNA. So you had a one, at least, at least a one in 200 million chance that that seed, that little sperm, swam faster than every, all the others, got into that egg first. Are y'all happy? And you came out with your hair color, your facial complexion, the size of your nose and shape of it, the shape of your lips and your ears, hair and no hair, had hair and lost hair, had hair and dyed it. But you came out looking the way you did. And I want to say to you, if you were a one in 200 million possibility, there are no mistakes sitting inside this sanctuary of any kind tonight. Not one. Not one. But the thing, the thing I want to ask you is this. Okay, there is a DNA that's made you look and appear the way you look, you look and appear now. But what is in... Whew, your spiritual DNA. I did not know I had a Methodist preaching West Virginia mountain preacher in my family. I did not know it till my aunt found out about it. So preaching was in our bloodline 50 years before the first preacher ever came in what I knew as my bloodline. Now you're going to get this in a minute. If you get it, it's going to hit you real heavy the way it did me. So what is it that you don't know you may say, I'm a first-generation Christian. That's first-generation with the people you know. Do you know who your ancestors were in the 1600s, the 1700s? Now, we know they do those genealogy tests. I'm not done the one that goes into, you know, all the people and this and that and the other because when I found out that I was related to 14 different people and my family had to just be a bunch of fornicators, I just decided not to look. <laughs> but I will tell you something funny. And I, I knew it had to be in me. I'll go preach at a black church. You know, in a black church, they just cut you loose. Come on and preach. And they, they get to jumping up and get on a ham and organ. If you can't preach at a black church, turn your license in and just go work at McDonald's, okay? Just get a good job, work your way up. Because if you can't preach in a black church, you got a real problem on your hand. 
and they pull it out of you. And so my black brothers and sisters, I go up to Chicago and preach, and it's all black church, and they say, brother, brother Stone, let me say something to you. Mm-hmm. You might be white on the outside, but you got some black in you somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if I get happy with them and you just get to shouting with them, they say, I tell by the way the man shouts. He got some soul. He's a soul brother. Well, if you should have seen my hair when I was 16, when I had an afro, you understand. I never knew where the afro came from. I did. I had the, bu- I, look, I have to slick it down. I had the bushiest, curliest hair. And they used to say I had a fro when I was 14, 15, 16. Well, I found out in my DNA, I got African in me. Talk to me, somebody. That don't make me sad. It makes me real happy. Now I understand why I go crazy preaching. That's why sometimes when I preach, I mm, start singing, oh, Lord, you know. So it's in the DNA. Now, let's go back to this because I'm having too much fun. I got to get serious here somehow. I want you to think for a moment. I'm going to give you two seeds. I want you to think about this for just a moment. I want you to think about an apple seed. If I had before me an apple, and this is all estimates, One apple can contain eight good seeds. In that apple, if you take that one apple and plant it in a good harvest, one tree can produce 800 apples with eight seeds. If 800 of those apples could be, let's say all the seeds are good, could be then replanted, 800 apples with those seeds, You have 6,600 trees that will now come out of those seeds. It does not take you long to calculate that in less than a generation, you will have an orchard that is miles and miles and miles of apple trees, all because one good apple had good seed. Now, think about this for a moment. Abraham is one man. He's good seed. Abraham produces Isaac. That's two. Isaac produces Jacob. That's three. Jacob produces 12 sons. That's 12. So you have one good, one good, one good, and then you get 12. In your Bible, it says that when they went to Egypt and they spent about, actually, actually probably 200 and some years, but a total from the promise of Abraham, 400 years. Within 400 years, one man produced, according to the book of uh, Exodus, 600,000 men of war from one good seed. I have come by to tell you that you don't know what one child out of your lineage is going to do. You don't know. We talk about how bad they are and messed up they are, but I'm telling you somewhere along the way, you whether you realize this or not, you've got something in your DNA. You have somebody that understood prayer in your DNA. You had someone in your DNA that was a, how many were raised around a mom, dad, grandmother, grandfather that took you to church growing up? Raise your hands and wave it. Wave it this way. And let me tell you, that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you are in the house of God right now because they did something more than just train up a child in the way they should go. There was something in your bloodline, something inside of you that triggered that when you heard church, you wanted to go to church. When you heard preaching, you loved preaching. When you wanted to heard music, your hands would go up. Your feet would stomp. You knew there was something on the inside of you. But what can you produce? 
one acorn is very interesting because inside the acorn, and here's where I want to get it to you, because it's inside of you. It's there. It's locked up in you. It hasn't been released. You haven't found it. You haven't discovered it. But if you take one acorn, one acorn has the potential of producing a major oak tree. Now, you've seen oak trees. They're not like pine trees. Oaks are majestic. If they grow many, many, many years, they become strong. They're powerful. They're a strong wood. One good oak, one oak, one oak a year can produce 10,000 acorns in one year. Let's say if those 10,000 acorns are planted, those trees that they produce can be up to 50 to 100 years old or older. Now I want to ask you a question. What is in the acorn? Oh, you didn't see it. You can't figure out how it can be that big, but let me tell you what's in the acorn. Everybody ready? There is a kitchen table inside the seed. There is kitchen cabinets inside the seed. There is a floor for a house inside the seed. There is trim for your new house inside that acorn. There are steps that go up to your attic or up the upstairs that are inside of there. And acorn wood is, uh, I'm sorry, oak wood is very durable. It's very heavy. It lasts for a long time. But the point I want to say is this. Really and truly, all of that is in that seed. You don't see it yet because it's not been grown yet. You don't see it because it's not produced a tree yet. Can I stand by and tell you that when God looks at you, you're trying to figure out where the furniture is in you. You're trying to figure out what is there that can come out of me. But what you've got to understand is when God sees the seed, he talks about it like it's already here. God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. How can God look at an old man that's almost 98 going on 99 and tell him he's made him a father when he's not even a father. He hasn't produced Isaac. Sarah is not pregnant, but yet God says, I have made thee a father. Here's the key because the New Testament says God calls those things that be not as though they already were. See, in the eyes of God, he's already got you to where you're going and you've not even started the journey yet. In the eyes of God, he's already figured out what you're going to be and you haven't figured it out yet. All you've got to do today and all you've got to do is what I'm sharing this with you is discover a presence of God, discover the touch of God, discover a prayer life. And when you do that, God is going to begin to release the seed and the seed that is in you is going to grow and going to mature because the seed is the word of God. And when it's planted, it will produce 30. It'll produce 60. Sometimes it'll produce a hundredfold. Somebody give the Lord praise in this house because of what's in you that you don't know it's in you because of the good things that's in you that you don't even realize that are in you. See, I grew up around a grandfather, and I want to tell you one more thing, but I grew up around a grandfather who was a a, a songwriter. He was a coal miner, but he wrote songs. He wrote over a thousand songs. I never tried to write a song. I I never, I could sing a little bit, carry a tune, but I never tried to write a song. I was in Bulgaria, and I had written a message called, or preached a message called, Close to the Cross, but Far from the Blood. The gamblers at the cross were gambling for the garment of Jesus, and they were, they were, close to where redemption was happening, but their hearts were far away from it. And I, I was with someone who was a good, a good writer and keyboard player, and I said, I want to write a song. And I sat there and just made up the verses. Four crewmen looking up at a bleeding, dying lamb, a king, a prince, almighty God, he is the great I am. Heaven's greatest scene unfolding, looking on the cross he bore, but they gambled on the garments that he wore. A seamless robe was greater value than redemption's cleansing flood. They were close to the cross, but they were 
far from the blood. And it was the first song I ever wrote. And the McCamies, I don't know if you know the McCamies, the Southern Gospel Group, the McCamies recorded that song, first song I ever wrote. And I wrote 40 songs, and I, I haven't written many songs because we're so busy doing other things, but I've written 40 songs that have been recorded. You may have never heard this song, but in, in the South, and I know Benny Hinn's Crusades and Judy Jacobs, let the veil down, let the praise go up, let the veil down, let the praise go up, let the veil down, we're in the presence of the Lord. It's got beautiful verses to it. I did not know. Now, here's my point, that I could write songs. It was in where? In the DNA. But I didn't know it till the occasion gave rise for God to release it at a particular season and a particular moment. And I'm so glad he did. I got a royalty check the other day from Daystar for $4,500 because of one of my songs. Praise God for songwritings. Touch your neighbor and say, praise God for songwriting. Songwriting's been good to me. My granddad was a songwriter, as I said, and he wrote country music sometimes. He wrote one called Pain in My Heart that they sang on Hee Haw all the time. Every time they did a rerun of Hee Haw, here come the Pain in My Heart check. <laughs> Ricky Van Shelton, country western singer that was real popular a few years ago, his favorite song was a song, Heaven is a city built by jewels rare. Its beauty is a splendor to behold. If you neglect salvation, you'll never enter there. You'll never, ever walk on streets of gold. Don't overlook salvation while traveling here in sin. Someday it may be too late to pray. He sang it as a little boy while his mama played a guitar and his dad at a church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Ricky Van Shelton, famous singer, tried to track my granddad down and couldn't find him because granddad was 79 years of age, but he found that song. And the first check my grandfather got was $25 thousand dollars because Ricky recorded Don't Overlook Salvation, his number one gospel song. Oh, you, you can shout for somebody else's blessing. I'll shout when yours comes. We'll shout together. Now, here's my point. He had the gift, but I didn't know it. But because I'm out of his seed, that gifting is there. Are you still here? Shout yes. My father was the greatest man of God I ever knew, and I'm not just saying that because he was my father. My father operated in all nine gifts of the Spirit I literally saw him, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, 16 people totally healed of cancer. I'm not talking about they went to the doctor and had treatment. They got healed of cancer when he prayed. That's just the ones we knew about the last few years of his ministry. I started realizing that some of the gifts that I have are passed down through being around my father. I can tell when things are going to happen. I told Brother Robbie before they went to Israel, and, and this is true, Absolutely, you're going to say, no, wait a minute, did you really say it? Well, he's sitting right there. Because some people say, well, I don't believe it happened. Believe it. I told him when he went to Israel, when you're in Israel, you're going to have somebody that's going to die. I hate to tell you that, but they're going to die. We're going to take out trip cancellation in church because you're going to have to make a choice of whether or not to come back or not. And his niece suddenly, unexpectedly got killed in the car wreck during the trip to Israel. I told his daughter who she was going to marry and name the man two years before he, he ever showed up. And did she marry him? Yes, yeah, she's married to Nathan King right now. Getting ready to have the King baby. <laughs> He's going to be a granddad too. Now, let me say this. There are things, it's the oddest deal, that I can get a word of knowledge on. I can, I can look at people, it's on staff, and tell them they need money, an exact amount they need. But it's not me. It's a word. My dad was that way. My dad, I mean, look, I couldn't sin growing up. This is a true story. I could not sin because if I tried to do something wrong, my dad would pray and see it. Robbie, am I telling the truth? 
I'm not, I'm not embellishing. Now, if I always say I'm telling the truth, I'm just letting you know I'm not embellishing the story. I always tell the truth. I'd come in, he'd say, son, I had a dream last night. Oh, God, what is it? <laughs> I got so upset at God when I was 16, I shook my fist. Thank the Lord. Are you glad God didn't just strike you down every time you do something stupid? I shook my fist and said, I just wish you'd just quit talking to my dad. Can't I go do nothing without you talking to him? <laughs> a dream, a vision. The Spirit of the Lord told me. But my dad could pray in the Spirit and interpret it. He called people out and prayed for them in their language. He prayed for a German woman. Dr. Spence, medical doctor from Washington, D.C., came to visit my church. He came to my dad and said, do you believe it like Oral Roberts? He said, sure, I pray for the sick. He said, would you pray for my wife? She's in a serious condition. Dad speaks German over her, fluent German, and the Holy Spirit gives her name and tells her she's going to get healed. Guess what happened to them? They became members of my dad's church. <laughs> Something about when the preacher can't speak German and he speaks German to your wife and tells her and God heals her, that kind of helps your membership. Come on, somebody, help me here, right here. I'm trying. <laughs> Here's my point. I did not know till recently, till my dad's death, that some of those very gifts of the Spirit that he operated in had transferred to my life. I don't say that for my glory. I'm not saying any of this for you to point to me or to look at me. My, grand my grandfather was a writer. I didn't know I could write. In fact, I really can't. I have to get three proofreaders after I write anything. But I have two award-winning books. Now, here's the funny part of that. You don't think God has a sense of humor? I flunked English. Listen to me. I flunked English all the way through school. When my mama said, son, you better learn grammar and English and writing. You never know when you're going to have to stand up in front of people and speak. And I looked at her and said, I'm never going to write and I'm never going to speak. So there's that. Now, how can a boy who flunked English, and I did, how can a boy that flunked English write 80 books and be a bestseller and have two awards? Thank you. Say it. The Holy Spirit. Now, here's, you know, I could, I could tell all the little stories and everything, but here's what I want to ask you. What's in your DNA? Now, for some of you here, because I know Sunday morning you have more unsaved people, more backsliders, who will, who will go to church by invitation than you do on a Sunday night. But here's what, this is what you've got to hear. This is what you've got to hear. There's also some bad DNA. Let's be honest. There's some characteristics that you picked up that you didn't ask for. How many of you know there's family trees? Come on. I have a friend of mine that so much bad stuff happened to him. He said, my family tree is a weeping willow. Come on, preach. But everybody has a family tree. Everybody here, if you really start digging, you got some nasty roots in your family tree. You got, <laughs> what does that the Italians say? Uncle, uncle who? Who's, huh? No, no, no. There's the uncle that's always the bad uncle. He's the head of the, you know, he's the hit guy. Weedo, that's it, Weedo. Yeah, yeah, Uncle Weedo. Everybody's got an Uncle Weedo in the family, huh? You got the one person. What do you think? What about him? Well, and it's the one person that you say. Now, you, you look at me and be honest with me. You look and say, oh, God, don't let, don't let Bobo turn out that way. God, please don't let my boy turn out. God, please don't let Susie turn out. Oh, God, I'm pleading with you. Do not let them be like their daddy, their uncle, their aunt. How many have been there? Thank you, all three of you. You got relatives sitting here. You don't want to say amen. You don't want them to know you're thinking about them the whole time I'm preaching this message. But watch this. 
I said to myself, God, I have met people. We know a family. Now, we'll make a joke about this, me and Rob, but we know a family that honestly, the dad, I mean, emotionally just messed up like a rabbit, always runs from trouble, never stays through anything, always runs from trouble. Marries the wife, totally messed up. Has a son, totally messed up. Now, I asked God, I said, God, I know there's things in all of us that we don't know that God wants to bring out. And that's the one side I want to preach. But for about five, give me five minutes, I want to tell you this. The other side of this is how do I alter something that is genetically in me that's there because of my family? How do I alter? For, for example, how do I alter when they look at me and say, there's a genetic disease that's in your family for four and five generations, and it might be in you. How do you alter that? Have you thought about that? Can we alter that? I, I have a, the only problem that I have physically, to my knowledge, as far as an actual problem, is high glucose. And it's a genetic problem. And this is the revelation God's given me is what I'm about to tell you. So grandma had it, grandpa had it, and dad had it, and it goes on and on. High glucose. But you know what? Based on my glucose levels of A1C being 9.5 and 10, I should have cardiovascular disease right now with all my arteries collapsing. So I went for a checkup, and the doctor looked at me and said, you're an enigma. <laughs> I have a new Christian doctor. I said, what do you mean? He said, with you, he said, have you looked at your cholesterol numbers? And I said, no, that's what I'm paying you to do. <laughs> he said, your bad is 41. Bad cholesterol. Your good is 33. You, your cholesterol doesn't hardly exist. He said, your triglycerides are 40. He said, I see men with diabetes whose triglycerides are up to heart attack at level 300, 400, 500. He said, this should not be. How do you explain that you have this, but your heart is clear? The organs of your body are functioning. He said, you ever heard of a functioning alcoholic? Yeah. He said, you're a functioning diabetic. You understand? <laughs> you get up early, go all day long, never have a collapse, never get tired, never. And, and Robbie tell you, I go 17 hours a day and get to bed, can't hardly sleep at night. And, but it's weird. How do you explain it? Because of something called the blood of Jesus. This is what I'm going to teach you. Because I believe in God, I'm going to get healed of this thing. But let me teach this. Everybody pay attention because it's so important. What if your whole generations were alcoholics? What if they were into drugs and drug dealers? What if your family lineage, your family tree is so bad, you want to dig it up and burn it? Really? What if, what if you got a family tree that you don't want to tell anybody about, any of your relatives, because there's nothing good to say, but you think to yourself, now, am I talking to anybody here? You can slip your hand up and do this right here. Do the little, do the little Presbyterian thing, kind of do this, and I'll see. Okay? No, I'm just slipping up all the way. But if I'm talking to anybody here, here's the thing. Here's what I want to tell you. It's very important. How do you, it's not about them. They have their life. How do you alter it? In the Bible... The other day, they talked about a guy who'd been on the space station, and he was a twin. The exact DNA of his twin, right? I mean, match, blood, blood, the whole thing. He'd been on that space station for a year, and when he came back, 
the space station being in the, the, the gravity, no gravity and all that, had completely altered his DNA. None of it matched his twin. Did anybody read about that? And it's, it's it, pardon me, but it's freaking them out. Okay? Look, it didn't freak me out, and let me explain why. Praise God. When you're a sinner, you're away from God. You, sin is inherently in your nature. But you know how sin was passed on? Believe this or not, the blood. Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And when Adam, before Adam sinned, he ate of the tree of life and would have lived on. Can I prove it? When Adam sinned, God put an angel there to say, don't let man go back to the tree of life lest he eat it and live forever in that condition. The tree of life did something to sustain the blood, to continue the T cells, the disease fighting factors, whatever it took to keep man strong and healthy. The aging process was gone. When Adam sinned, sin is not just mental. Sin is not just a character flaw. Sin is literally in the bloodline because it's inherent by one man sin entered into the world. This is why, important you hear this, everybody needs to be saved and needs a savior because sin is inherent in you. You do not have to tell kids, let me say it this way, you don't have to teach kids, kids to do wrong. They just start doing wrong. They just start rebelling. How do you know when they're about 12 to 17, there is a dumb DNA that hits them? Come on, the dumb DNA comes out of the family. Sorry, kids, I had to pick on you there for a little bit. But my point is this. That's why people have to be saved. That's why you have to have an experience because it's in the nature of the human spirit, but it's in the bloodline. But here's the good part. The regeneration of the washing of the word. I looked up regeneration in Greek and did a word study and found out that the modern way of saying what it means to be regenerated by the word of God and the blood of Jesus, ready for this, is to be regened. Well, I got bad genes. Well, I got some bad DNA. Wait a minute. The process of spiritual regeneration regenes the individual who has come into an experience with God, which then solves everybody's excuse of why I'm a sinner. Example, I was born gay. Really? Then I have an answer to the born gay. Be born again. Oh, you'll get it in a minute. The Bible said you must be what? Born again. And Nicodemus said, I can't enter back into my mother's womb and be born all over. Jesus said, that's not what I'm talking about. The born, oh, I feel the anointing helping somebody here today. The born again experience. See, people look at Christianity as a religion. They see a choir. They see a, chap, a, 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 a cross on top of a building. They, they think of Christianity by symbolism. Listen to me carefully. Christianity is one of the three monotheistic religions, yes. But Christianity is a relationship 
through Jesus Christ, meaning I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I was born into this without my knowledge or will simply because my ancestor in my bloodline of earthly bloodline failed you at the beginning of time and that is in my blood. But Lord, today in the name of Jesus, take the blood of Jesus Christ and, oh, don't you feel it? And wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Wash my mind. Wash my spirit. Now you see, I did not pray that prayer. I got to stand up. I'm feeling this thing all over me. I I did not, I did not, when I prayed that prayer, feel actual blood come over me. I didn't feel warm sensation and say, whoo, I prayed that sinner's prayer and I felt that dripping. Something dripped all over me. Did y'all, am I red back there anywhere? Am I red? No, 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 no. It happens in the spirit, but it happens nonetheless. And what God does is in regeneration, he reaches down and he touches your spirit, cleanses it by the blood of Jesus, cleanses the mind by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says it this way. If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Oh, things are passed away and all things are become new. So there's two parts to this message. Part number one is this. What is it in you that you don't even know that's there that God wants to help you to bring out? One of the, one of the lady ministers that I know, great story, said to me, she said, my grandmother, when I was a little girl, she says, you got to understand, I was pretty much raised heathen. My daddy committed suicide when I was a girl. My mama worked. She didn't have much time with me. So she left me with a grandmother that they said was mentally off. But she said, I can remember they would put me in that room. They locked my grandmother up in this room. They brought her food. She'd use the bathroom, eat the food, and they locked her up. They were embarrassed of her. They said she's mental. But this woman said, but I remember as a five-year-old girl, four-year-old girl, before I started school for years, my grandmother would rock me. And she says, I never never knew what it was until I was saved and I never knew what it was till in my later years I was filled with the spirit she'd pray in strange languages and she'd pray for me and call my name and she'd rock me and she'd go off and praying in this weird language and I remember as a little girl she'd say come here baby come here let me hold you and she'd rock in that rocking chair that girl today is is a nationally world known minister speaks in tongues has the baptism of the Holy Ghost has a church and she said to me she says nobody they thought my grandma was crazy but all the time she was praying blessing over me all the time she was praying in the Holy Spirit and they didn't even know then what the Holy Spirit was so my point is what is there in you that you don't know you can begin to ask God you can ask God to release it you can ask God to show you those desires that you have to do something from God you didn't make that up that's coming from God that desire to do something big that desire to be missionary that desire to do do missions that desire to preach the gospel that desire to teach young people, that desire to start business. All of that is something that's on the inside of you because it says, God, it's the one that he gives you the desires of your heart. But on the flip side, this is important. This is where we're going right now. And that is this, what is there in your DNA? And I'm talking about spirit natural that is so tough that you're bound up and can't get free. That has so much bondage in it that There's a part of you that wants out. There's a part of you that wants help. There's a part of you that wants deliverance. But you haven't been able to get it. It starts with a regeneration experience with Jesus. It starts with not just going to church, not just hearing the word, not just worship. It starts with you saying, Jesus Christ, 
I need the blood of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I need the blood of Jesus to regenerate my heart. Give me a new heart. Take this old stony heart, this, this heart that's got just bad thoughts and junk, and transform it with your creative process. Tonight, tonight, I want to pray for everybody who says, I, don't, I want to be regened. <laughs> I want God to give me a new heart. Maybe, maybe you have, a, obviously you have a desire for God or you wouldn't be here, but maybe you're not following him. Maybe you have a terrible sin struggle consistently. If you know what I'm talking about, raise your hands. If you know what, I, yes, you know what I'm talking about? Would you do something with all of you that know what I'm talking about? And I know this is a different kind of altar call, but I'm, t- I'm going by what the Spirit says. If you know what I'm talking about and you say, I want, I want you to pray with me for the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me and for God to give me a new heart and a new way of thinking. I want total renewal of my mind and spirit. I have a, I have a sin problem. I have a, a problem with not obeying God. I have a problem with just how the enemy just, I just can't, I just can't seem to get there. And I want God to take me and change me. Stand up. Come on down here right now. We're just, we won't wait for anything. We'll just do it right now. Thank you so much for your obedience to God. Thank you for your obedience to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on down here right now. Line just all the way across the front. All the way across the front. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Oh, Father, we want to bless you. I have I've really felt an unction, Lord, as... As you give me this word, Lord, as I've preached, I felt an unction from the Spirit of God, real heavy unction from you. And Lord, as we get ready to pray and minister, let the Spirit of God do great things, mighty things. Hallelujah. Now, most of you, most of you, and I, I'm going by what I know in my spirit, most of you have known the Lord and you've prayed some time and you've had a relationship with God. But whatever this is, we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray a different prayer than probably I've ever prayed before. I, I'm, going to pray, I'm going to pray some different words over you, but I want you to repeat it with me. And no one leaving, please, because th- this is a great thing that God is doing. Would you stand all over, this, all over this building? Would you stand right now? Stand to your feet with me. Everybody here, this is the, the, you got to pray by faith. Sometimes when you repeat a prayer with someone, just think of the words being said. Don't just say the words. Think about what we're saying. I'm going to pray it very slow, but you need to know this. When we approach God, He will hear us. There's no space limit with God's hearing. That's that's amazing, but it's true. He hears us on earth right now. Raise your hands with me all over. And I want you to pray bold, and I'm going to ask you to pray loud. Say it right now. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, right now, I'm seeking your face in the name of the Lord Jesus. God, I'm asking you to forgive me of every sin, every bad thought, all of those things that have been a part of my life recently. I want to do the right thing. I want to follow you. I want to be in covenant with you. And I want you to direct my life. Jesus, in your name, give me a new heart. Give me a clean heart. Give me a pure heart. Give me a good mind. Give me a pure mind. Give me a clean mind. By the blood of Jesus Christ. I want everybody to say this out loud. Jesus, by faith, wash me 
in your precious blood. Regene me. Take out the old way. Make all things new in my mind and in my heart and in my life in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I want you to stand and just worship the Lord for a moment. Everybody just worship.